You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games, as long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi folks, welcome to another Broken Meeple podcast episode. It is hot, humid, sticky, horrible, I hate summer. Yeah, I just hate summer. We've had like 26 to 28 degrees in the bottom of the UK the last couple of days. At least yesterday it was sunny and it was dry heat and it was a bit of a breeze. Today, there is no breeze outside. I can't get any air through this house. It is humidity up through the roof. Ah, I hate the summer. I really do. It just affects me in a bad way because I can't take very, I can't take the heat. You know, if it's in a sauna or steam room, that's fine. But I just can't take uncomfortable heat or extreme heat. I also get proper sinus problems. You know, hay fever affects me and I tend to be more susceptible to, you know, sneezing or colds or something like that during the summer because it just sends my sinus all over the place. And, you know, no antihistamine ever is able to do anything about it. And it's just, Uh, when can we be when is it september you know when's it september but yeah sorry for the lack of content recently i've we are well the uk games expo was last week hence the format of this episode but um i caught a bit of a con crud from it uh i also strained my vocal cords and uh had like post nasal drip uh sinus issues so yeah, you name it, I just kind of had a bit of a bleh head from, you know, anything from the neck up was just bleh for last week. And even though I wasn't technically ill, the throat was still quite sore and it's still not easy for me to get extended conversation out uh, while raising my voice or without a ton of fluids on hand. So I've got, you know, if you can hear the jingles, I've got a massive, like, pint, old-fashioned pint glass full of squash full of ice cubes because... I can't have the windows open or the uh, air cooler on while I'm doing this because obviously there'll be too much noise. So I'm going to be sweating buckets during this show. But it's okay because I'm going to go for a run or gym straight after this and then I'll have a shower before my daily activities. So all well and good. But man, you know, not fun on that front. But like I say, otherwise, health is fine. I put out a video yesterday. I'm doing this today. We'll see how my throat goes. And I'm behind on reviews. I've got tons to do. I've still got to do Planet Unknown, Moon, and The Number, and Mind Bug. I've still got to do those four. You know, I was going to do one as a full review. I think I might have to downgrade it to a quick draw review because I just can't physically get the time in to catch up with all the other stuff I got to do. So we're just. You know, I'm going to have to try and bail out some content soon, but I know I'm very grateful that a few of you have been saying, you know, take the time off and look after your health. I'm not going overboard. You know, if my health gets out of hand, I'll stop, but I need to get some stuff done, you know, and it is just basically inconveniences and nuisances rather than, oh, I should be on a sofa with a thermometer in my mouth or something. It's not that bad, but, you know, we'll just go with that. So, I can't think of much else really before we get started, just that the... You know, the channel's still going well, 20,155 subscribers, all going nicely since that 20,000 milestone, and as you can see, I've put out the May 2023 update, which has kind of been renamed to the good and bad, I mean, I don't really know what name to 
stick for it because obviously I've got to make sure that Google picks it up fine. But I don't want to. I don't know if I can call it the best and worst. Uh, although the title says best and worst, I mean it's good and bad, best and worst. It's basically what I played that's new to me and not getting reviewed in the last month. So, you know, there we've got Neom, Stardew Valley, Estates, Aqualine, and Planted. All five of them are getting talked about in that video. So by all means, check it out. Other than that, uh, like I say, there wasn't much content. You know, the top 10 house rules for games has not taken off as much as I thought it would. But, you know, there's been some good conversations on there. And then the last thing I did was the UK Games Expo preview. So, yeah, there just really isn't that much on the channel to speak of right now because of you know, UK Games Expo and having a proper bad throat, but there's more stuff on the horizon. I've got a ton of stuff to review. There'll be a Kickstarter monthly thing this month because last month there just wasn't anything interesting on Kickstarter. At least this time there's a few things I can talk about, uh, one of which I'll be talking about on this video actually. And yeah, you know, there's just plenty of reviews and hopefully a top 10 uh, flip and write, roll and write games at some stage. And I do want to get collaborations back on. I know Sam Healy has, you know, said that, you know, we should do something together and it'd be fantastic to do a top 10 with him on a live stream. So we shall see what we can do. But yeah, suffice to say, just bear with me for the... Uh, the summer because the summer is always really hard for me to do recordings because of the uh you know the heat and the sinus and that you know anytime i do any recording i have to shut all the windows and everything to get rid of the outside noise which means the heat just builds up like crazy and i've tried everything i can do you know i've got air coolers we don't have air con in uk remember um i open the windows you know dress light i've even opened the loft hatch you know it's there open all day to let air circulate out through it it's and to be fair, that's actually made quite a bit of a difference. But when it gets to humidity, the loft hatch doesn't really help. I need air to circulate through the building, and so sticky, humid days don't work. But it's done a pretty good job the last month, I'll give it that. Anyway, enough about me complaining about the summer, because I'm sure all you Americans are like, oh, you wuss, you wuss, we have it at 35 on a normal winter day. But yeah, you guys get to live in aircon. You can switch on your aircon whenever you feel like. I have a big tower unit with a fan on it. That's about as good as I can get. There's a colossal difference. But yes, you guys do have a climate that really just doesn't agree with me. <laughs> Alrighty, okay, so... I'm just going to talk about some news briefly, and then we'll get into the meat of the episode, which is basically the Games Expo, kind of an overview of what happened. So let's get the screen back up. Come on. Come on, screen. Work with me. la dee, -dee. Righty, so very briefly on this one, because I'm not a massive fan of this. Um, well, not fan. I don't really know much about this game, but basically HeroScape is coming back again. Uh, it originally was coming back, I think, from... Avalon Hill or something, like they were bringing it out as Age of Annihilation, but it didn't seem to go too well, and the crowdfunding didn't really work, and, uh, you know, they couldn't meet their funding goal, and it was like, hmm, nope, this ain't working. Well, apparently, Renegade Studios is uh, picking it up now, so Renegade Games are going to do HeroScape. I never really cared too much about HeroScape, it's not a game that I've had much in the way of interest in, but given that everything's expensive these days, I wonder how they're going to possibly do it on a budget. But, I don't know, good on you. Good on you for taking it up, because I think Avalon Hill doesn't really know how to do Kickstarters these days, because that campaign was pretty shocking, to say the least. But, you know, good luck to you. Hope you do well. If you're a HeroScape fan and you've, or you've wanted to try it, then here's there's potential in the future for you. But for me, not that interested. It's just, hey... You guys want to know, so I'm telling you about it. 
Uh, speaking of things I'm not interested in, uh, Gloomhaven is getting a second edition. Yes, as if the first edition wasn't like expensive enough out of your pocket. They basically said that they're going to bring the second edition back. Now, I think I've got the page. Nope, this is second edition. Yep. So, Cephalogare Games crowdfunding project will also include Gloomhaven second edition, a revised and updated version of the 2017 blockbuster. So... The world story and gameplay will remain the same, but it will feature rebalanced and redesigned classes, items, and scenarios, as well as brand new artwork, narrative and events, updated miniatures, new faction-based reputation system, and more. This seems like quite a big jump for the second edition. But, I mean, I the thing is, what are you going to do if you already own Gloomhaven? Because I, this is literally only going to cater for those who are brand, brand new in... But the thing is, Frosthaven now exists, which is basically the same game, just with a blue and white paint job. So if you are a Gloomhaven fan, you already have this game. And so you've moved on to Frosthaven now. If you are brand, brand new to this, you're probably going to jump into Frosthaven because it's the newer game. It's the newest thing. Would you go back and play Gloomhaven all the way through? Maybe if you really love Frosthaven, I guess. But... You're kind of asking that people are going to get, you know, I can't imagine anybody who owns and has played most of the first edition of Gloomhaven is going to suddenly spend all the money to get this second edition version unless you literally have money to burn. And what is the market for this? I'm not entirely sure, but it's not going to coax me back in. I mean, it doesn't matter if you change a few, you know, yes, you're fixing some of the balance issues. Great. Uh, you've tweaked some items and scenarios. Great. Brand new artwork. Well, the artwork wasn't particularly great to begin with, so I don't know how much more of an improvement it is. I mean, this picture doesn't exactly... I mean, first of all, we had browns and reds. Now we've got pink and browns. <laughs> it would just change red to pink, basically. Here, it's a bit more pinky. But I don't... Not, the core gameplay is still going to be as it was before, and that's the bit I wasn't a fan of. You know, you took a... You made a Euro game, and you pasted a dungeon crawl theme around it it's like i want the dungeon crawl not the euro game with this sort of thing but you know i digress i'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to be hyped up for this and it's gloomhaven so of course anything with the word gloomhaven and it gets hyped up even if it's a uh, trash founders of gloomhaven mm -hmm. but yeah i don't know i'm not i'm not going to suddenly jump into it just because it's a second edition but I'm just curious why that many people would gun for this when Frosthaven's out. Would you not go for the more updated, more developed one after... Bear in mind, Frosthaven has been made with feedback from Gloomhaven factored in. So, is this really going to be the one you would gun for? Maybe if you just like that setting, but honestly, Frosthaven sounds like a better setting than this one. I don't know, but it's one for the fans. I'm not one of them, so what do I know? All right. Couple more details about the Ticket to Ride Legacy game. Yay! Finally, we actually got some proper details on it. And yes, I do say legacy because it is officially a legacy game. We had the teaser on the last episode. They then came out and said it's called Legends of the West. And this will be a full legacy game. So you will embark on 12 journeys across North America on the East Coast, uh, working their way to the West, blah, 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 meeting challenges along the way. You will complete your tickets, but you will need to develop other skills if you hope to uncover the un unexpected events and your resourceful rivals. So, and you will continuously fill your vault with earnings and you will open frontier boxes, unlock new rules, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's a legacy game, what do you expect? Well, this sounds pretty cool. I mean, I'm not expecting this to have much of a story per se, but 
you know, you have got two designers who know what they're doing with this kind of thing, for the most part, Seafall. <laughs> but you also have, you know, Alamar Moon, and this is Ticket to Ride, so Ticket to Ride is always going to be a fun game. My friends have already demanded that I play this with them and their child. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about playing it with kids, but, uh, you know, five of us as well makes for a very chaotic game. You know, Ticket to Ride's not usually the best thing to play with five players, but, you know, like I say, I still love Ticket to Ride, so I'm totally down for this, and when it comes out, I'll be sure to try and grab it and play it. But, you know, maybe I'll play a copy with them and play a second copy myself. I, wonder, I mean, I doubt this is soloable, but I could certainly play it with other people. If it's only 12 games of Ticket to Ride, how long can it take? You know, legacy games are better when the games don't take three hours apiece and have a million rules. You know, something like this should be... I, I foresee this... Yeah, I actually, I'm curious about this, actually, because Pandemic Legacy, right? You took an easy co-op game, gateway game, Pandemic, made it into a Legacy game, and everybody jumped on it, and, now, and it was, like, number one on Board Game Geek. If this does not get the same, assuming that the mechanics are sound, if this doesn't get the same buzz, or the same massive high-cut BGG rankings, I will cry foul, because I would argue that Ticket to Ride is more popular than Pandemic, even though they are both very popular games. This is entry-level, it's done by good designers, it's already a system that works. This should, this should have the same buzz and appeal that Pandemic does, you know, other than the fact that that one was co-op and this is competitive. Maybe that will give Pandemic the slight, uh, the slight uh, edge just because it's co-op. But if this doesn't do anywhere near as well, I will cry foul. Because there's no reason this shouldn't have a similar level of appeal. And I say, I can't wait to try it. Alright. Uh, what have we got now? We have got... Oh yes, the big one. I don't have much to say, but... Woo, the title says it all. Upper Deck sues Ravensburger over allegedly stolen Disney game. Now, at the Games Expo, there was a game being shown called Disney Lorcana. It's a trading card game from uh, fan from Ravensburger, which, I mean, I would love a card game based on Disney. All right, you know, this, this type of game, I'm sure, is going to be great fun to play, and I would love to try it. The queue was something like 90 minutes at the start of the day just to get a play of it. Not there to buy, you were just to get a play of it. I'm sorry, I'm not that desperate for the game that I'm going to stand in a queue for that long just to play the game, you know. I mean, I'm not sure why it's why it was that popular or like that hyped. You know, it could be really cool, but haven't we got to the point where we're sick and tired of trading card games? You know, yeah, Magic the Gathering and stuff like that is obviously popular, but trading card games means splashing out money on booster packs in order to get rares which causes power creep it causes inflated second-hand markets it just causes people to lose all their money and in the day and age where the economy's gone to pot is this the sort of thing you want to be splashing out money on you know don't get me wrong i would love to be having one of these decks where i can say right you know i'm gonna control mickey mouse and combine it with you know simba aladdin or cruella Deville, you know you know you know ursula or whatever you know these seem fantastic as it seems like a fantastic idea and I'm sure the game's probably fun, even though it kind of basically looks like magic. But the thing is, why is this uh, in the news? Because Upper Deck apparently already had this idea. It, they claim it was allegedly copied by a former employee. So essentially, they, they were working on a trading card game. Uh, I wonder if it's got the name here. Not sure if it mentions the name. I'll let you know if I spot it. But... 
basically, uh, an employee of Upper Deck was working on a card game. And, yeah, I'll, I'll read it from this article. Check out gizmodo.com if you want to look at the full bits. But here you go. So let's have a look. Uh, we invested significant time and resources to develop a new and novel trading card game. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Leadership values. Blah, 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 blah. We want gamers to include. We encourage competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. PR speak. You know, get to the point. Um, so what do we got? Later after reviewing the claim, we at Ravensburger stand behind... Oh, God. There's all this PR speak that you get. We at Ravensburger could stand behind the integrity of our team and the originality of our products. We respect competition. That makes me sick with any company out there. Video games and board games do this thing where the PR person takes over and writes your article for you. It's so cringy. It's so fake. <sighs> Hate it. But here we go. The complaint outlines a single employee, the contracted lead designer of an in-progress Upper Deck product called Rush of Ecor, which sounds like a boring title, but that person left Upper Deck in the middle of the project. Something to do with, a, uh, you know, uh, we don't know the full details, but we think it was something to do with, like, the product never getting off the ground, or he couldn't get, it, he couldn't get Upper Deck to sort of publish it, that sort of thing. He then went on to Ravensburger and began working on Lorcana. While proving ownership of mechanics is difficult, as many game mechanics can't be copywritten, it's possible, but could blimey, is it hard? Upper Deck is claiming that the former employee used previously developed work to develop Lorcana. They point not only to the timeline of employment, but also to the very similar base mechanics of both games. So, you know, they have released some, <clears throat> you know, bits and bobs out, and, you know, if you do your Google research, you can actually find really sort of nitty-gritty details as to what they're doing, but yeah... Suffice to say, this is going to be interesting. You know, you it's very hard to copyright mechanics. But, you know, there could be some grounds for this. And there's a couple of video games out there at the moment. Um, is it called uh, Not Us or something unknown? I can't remember. But there's, there's a video game, apparently, that is sort of in the video gaming news where one, per where one company is suing the other because they believe they nicked assets from the other. Of course, we don't know the full story, but that one's been going on for ages. This ain't going to get resolved anytime soon. Um, I don't think Upper Deck have officially served a... Is it a subpoena or a lawsuit? I don't know. I don't know law terminology. Where's Sarah Shah when you need her? Um, but the you know, the idea with this is it could make the release of Lokana interesting. You know, will they be allowed to release it when this is ongoing? Will this affect public perception in any way, shape or form? I mean, let's face it, you know, content creators and publishers can get away with murder these days with the stuff that they do and people will still buy their stuff. So, do, would this make any difference? I don't really think so. If this gets released and the lawsuit is still ongoing, then I don't think people who play this game are going to give one monkeys. It's just going to be another one of those stories in the background. But I'm curious to see where this goes from here. If I get a chance to try the game, I will. But this isn't a game that I want to get invested in because trading card game. Not interested in trading card game. If this was an LCG or a standalone game that just got expansions like Sentinels or something, I'd be all over this because I would love it. But eh, not as a trading card game. It's just not the format I'm interested in. Right, so let's get on to the nitty-gritty. The UK Games Expo has concluded for another year. I went for the full weekend, I had a great time, enjoyed seeing people and playing some games, although to be honest, most of the time I spend at the Games Expo is mostly chatting to a few publishers 
and some open gaming and just socializing with people. I don't tend to demo that much at the Games Expo because most of the time it's not the newest hotness of games. So there's only a few games that I need to try and that's assuming I have an interest in the game anyway. But yeah, I just mainly use it as a chance to meet people and, you know, have a good time and just chill and be in the atmosphere. And yep, I got my wish. Yes, my throat and sinus has suffered as a result. Seriously, gamers, watch your personal hygiene. But uh, yeah, I, you know, really, I had a good time and it was good to go back there given that last year I was uh, indisposed for my brother's wedding. So uh, yes, they had their anniversary whilst I was at the expo, but at least I didn't have to go up north and skip the expo in order to attend it. So Yep, this was all well and good. So this is just basically to kind of chat about a bunch of games that I played or demoed there, although I will gloss over or talk pretty quickly about some games that are likely to get reviewed. There are one or two on this list. And I'll mention some feedback about a couple of preview bits that caught my interest, but also some comments on the expo itself. So in terms of the expo itself, well... You know, it was definitely busy. I've heard rumors. I don't think they've officially published uh, attendance figures yet, or if they have, they're not doing a very good job of showing it. But essentially, I think it's like 16% higher attendance than their biggest attendance figure. There was a lot of people at this place, and yeah, it was noticeable. I mean, Friday and Sunday had a decent amount of people there. Saturday was pretty rammed, uh, not quite Essen rammed, but it was pretty packed in there. So I did most of my talking on that day rather than demos. But, you know, it certainly was busy and it's definitely back in full swing with two full halls full of people like demoing games and stuff. And, of course, open gaming and tournaments and all the like with the Hilton Hotel also tacked on for the open gaming side. Didn't do any live events. I was busy doing stuff at, well, I mean, the only, you know, sorry, Paul Grogan, I wanted to come to your just one event, but uh, I was indisposed with a, a Lacerda prototype at that point. Uh, and I don't really have much interest in the other live events, so I wasn't too fussed, you know, and I don't really have the time. I trying to get stuff done during it. I find that, uh, you know, I've got quite a full Friday and Saturday, and I'm trying to get little bits done on Sunday. It's not quite like Essen, where I feel like I've kind of done and dusted by Sunday, but, you know, certainly plenty to do. But yeah, the, you know, publishers, you know, all very nice, lots of nice people to chat to while I was there, lots of people there, you know, in terms of, you know, RPGs and card games and publishers, well-known ones and indie ones, uh, certainly some, a lot of emphasis on smaller games, I think, this time around. I mean, you had a couple of big ones, like Hegemony and that there, but for the most part, there wasn't really any big, massive, three-hour Euro there, probably saving themselves up with Gen Con and Essen, but no, this one felt more on the lighter fare of games. Midweight, lighter, co-ops, and you know what? I kind of approve. I'm kind of done with trade shows being nothing but complicated three-hour Euros with a ton of mechanics that you're just never going to get played. So it's nice that this one actually focused more on some lighter stuff, you know, because so, you know, we don't get a lot of that these days that get recognition. But I will say a few comments about the Expo in general. I mean, firstly... All the tips that I mentioned in the preview video stand true, particularly the one about the Brin and Buy. People were queuing for nearly two hours on the Thursday evening when I was in the press event just to drop their games off, and not all of them were able to do it. The Brin and Buy is just not worth the time, and I know there's some edge cases where people sold two grand's worth of stuff and only took 500 quid's worth of cost or whatever. Fine, you got lucky... And even then, how on earth did you get two grand's worth of stuff in there? I mean, 
you know, what drive, what does my head in is when you're in that queue dropping games off, you've got, say, 10, 20 games and somebody's got like their entire house there on trolleys and it takes them three hours to get through the processing thing and it's holding everyone up. The open gaming was still good, except, as I said, their library still sucked. So make sure you brought your own games with you or played stuff you bought at the expo because that's kind of how that you should be doing it. Uh, the... One thing I will say to publishers, though, and this ha- this applies to all conventions, but specifically at this expo, I noticed it a lot as well. Train your volunteers for crying out loud. I mean, the amount of times you know that I go to these conventions and find that people just don't know how to teach their games. A friend of mine tried to learn Distilled, and apparently the guy barely knew how to teach it. And that's a fairly involved game that needs a good teacher. Okay, I played a game of, um, I, well, I won't say names because I don't want to name and shame, but I, I mean, I played a small card game and the person there was setting up, you know, was going to teach it for the day and he had to look up rules for this tiny little 20 minute card game. And it's like, seriously, you should know how to play this 20 minute card game. You know, now, granted, there are problems where the publisher basically gives them the game to look at, like on the day they arrive. Of which case, shame on the publisher, because you should give them a chance to learn your bloody game. You know, preferably with a prototype copy or, you know, give them more time on the arrival day. But, yeah, and I don't think that was the only one. Uh, yeah, played another game which had very simple rules, and yet we've turned out we played it wrong. Because we were taught it wrong. And it's like, for crying out loud, there's a playthrough on YouTube that does it correctly you are a part of this publisher and this game doesn't have a lot of rules you should be able to teach it and you should know the rules <sighs> some people are better at teaching games than others and i like to think i teach games pretty well and i make rules mistakes it happens and i have to check occasional things but when you're doing it for a trade show you need to put in that little extra effort it's okay when it's your club night or when you're with friends and you make a little bit of a rules botch or you have to check something but to do it at a trade show is just, it's kind of irresponsible really, but then it's also irresponsible on the publisher to not give the people time to try out the game so they can teach it. I hate it when I see this, I mean that's three occasions at one convention from two people, you know, myself and my friend, who encountered bad teachers it can really put people off your games if you have a bad teach and it doesn't give a good impression of the publisher or the game in question you got to sort this out publishers i'm getting sick of it all right no no but that aside uh, but that aside like i say lots of friendly people lots of good games and all the like so i just want to now talk about oh yes i will still say one thing also i mentioned about staying outside of the games expo for cheaper cost i still stand by that the costs of staying on site are just ridiculous i mean i looked up the hotels nearby for the dates for next year and they were charging somewhere in the regions of about 125 pound plus a night that is friggin ridiculous you're paying 400 plus pounds to stay on site that is just to stay at the NEC Centre in Birmingham, okay? I once paid for a week's holiday all-inclusive in the Greek island, Rhode Island, right? In the Greek Isles, uh, for a week. I mean, granted, this was about a decade ago, so prices have inflated since then. But I paid, no, I did that for less than £400. Okay, it was a cheap deal, but we managed it. 
I don't expect to stay in Birmingham for £400. It's ridiculous. So I stayed off-site in a guest house and I drove in each day and trust me, that way just works so much better. Granted, slight issue on this occasion though because we did have the slight train problem because, uh... Yeah, the train strikes picked a very bad time to do it. It messed up a lot of people and it meant that the traffic getting into the car park each time was a little bit chaotic if you left it too late. And I got caught up in that on the opening day and I actually missed the opening doors. So yeah, slight negative on that one, but that is a one-off. Every other year when I've driven in, it's been fine, smooth, right there next to the bus stop, good go. And you've just got to pull up with the walk at night, you know, and you obviously have to cherry pick what games you're going to carry around with you so requires a bit of upper body strength and some strong shoulders and stuff you know in order to utilize this method but trust me yeah when you can stay and it's not like staying nearby is dirt cheap I mean it cost me I think it cost me a good 70 pound a night to stay at the place I was at but to be fair it was done out quite nice it had a spar tacked on uh the breakfast was fine but uh if I'd realized how much it was going to cost each day I wouldn't have had it uh, it was a very quiet neighborhood, so I got a good night's sleep, and it had probably the best bath that I've ever had in ages, one that I could actually stretch out my six-foot-long body in. So when I got there on the Thursday, and I was like achy from the drive, and I'd had a long week, and I'm like, I got some time to kill, you know what? I just sat there and had a bath, three o'clock in the afternoon, and I was just like, you know what? Heaven, I needed this, you know, so it does work. But I've already got like a very basic, I think, Days In or something book next year. And it's the equivalent of about £55 a night. And it's just a seven-mile, nine-mile drive-in. It's just it's just so much cheaper to do that. Although I question whether you actually need to pay for parking, to be honest. You pay, you prepay parking. And then you drive there. And then nobody checks it when you go in. And nobody's there to check it when you go out. So what is the point in paying for the parking? I ask you. I don't know. But, you know, I presume somebody goes around and checks your... Well, then saying that, they must have a record of your number plates in there. So somebody must go around and check, surely. But, you know, has anybody ever got a ticket for staying at the UK Games Expo? I am genuinely curious. And, of course, you know, money-wise, take snacks, food and drink at the Expo is stupidly expensive to the point where it's daylight robbery. You know, paying £6.70-odd for a pint of Magners. I mean, that is ridiculous. Can't even get decent cider and i got to pay £6.70. You know, the food is, like, sparingly in its portions. I mean, Subway sandwich is probably the best deal you're going to get. And even then, that's not, you know, that's quite expensive. <sighs> the Expo really does know how to rake money out of people. And I don't like it for that. Always try to find the cheaper way of going to these conventions. And that's not me being stingy or me being a tax accountant. That's just me being looking after my money, you know, not splashing it out for no reason. Ah, I digress. Let's get on to the stuff you really want to know about, though. The games. Okay, so... Get in there. Right, so first up, I'm going to talk... Bre and I'm not going to go into too much detail about these, because my throat won't last. But we shall talk about the rich and the good. Also known as Hub and Good. Yes, this is a re English reissue of a game that came out in 2008. And I've always wanted to try this game, but I've never seen a copy of it. And my friend is like frothing at the mouth to try this game with me so you know and we were going to play it on friday but unfortunately the book of time we played took a bit longer and they had an early morning so they had to leave early but i promise you you will get to play this game because i was curious about this you know i am not necessarily sucked into cult of the new i like to try older games and see how things have developed and 
some older games are still really good to the point where if something comes out new that tries to do something similar, a lot of the times the old game is just better. This one is where it's a very straightforward game. You're basically doing stock market selling. So you've got these different goods and you know wood and paper and corn or whatever, and these markers track the prices and they will go up and down and it's all about buying low and selling high. Traditional money-making thing. But there's a couple of twists. You have these cards with the plus modifiers and minus modifiers in front of you and you get a little bit of insider information before the round starts. But then at during the round these are flipped around so that the other players can choose from them and so what happens is effectively the player has to pick a card from another player's row and apply its full effect they then pick another card from a different player and apply half the effect so you could be really ramping up something but then you could also be trying to mitigate the damage from another you know it's a cool very clean system i mean super super clean I think this is a weird prototype copy because I don't think these these pieces look different and I think they've updated some of the artwork like Michael Menzel does the artwork and that so there's not many pictures of the new version but it's very pretty and for the price cost less than 40 pound it was a pretty good deal but yeah I bought this in fact I bought it halfway through the game because I really enjoyed it it's clean you just take the cards you move up the prices and that and obviously you know you got to think about what other people are gunning for but here's the real good twist you have to donate cards to this charity board um during the round you can only do it up to four times and the idea is is that these shares go to charity and are sold off at the end of the round and then you do another round at the end of the game if you have donated the least amount of money to charity you lose and are eliminated outright I donated the most to charity in the first round by a mile. I then got greedy. And then I lost by getting eliminated because I was out by £5,000 to the person in second. Oh my god. And £5,000 is the lowest denomination you have in this game. That hurt. That hurt a lot. <laughs> to be eliminated from first place to last because I got slightly greedy. Ooh, but... I love that mechanic in a game. It's so good. It makes for really good, fun endings. But, you know, this game is just clean. It's clean. It's simple. It's fun. I could teach this to just about anybody. The rules are so simple. And this came out in 2008. You know, this just goes to show that some older games are just more streamlined. They're more clean. And yet they're still good fun. I do recommend this game, and I don't normally speak highly of any kind of stock market, economic style game, but I like the lighter ones, Stockpile, Whistle Stop, and things like that. This is another example of a light stock market style game, and I think it's genuinely really good. You know, would I want to play it over and over again? That's a different story, but, you know, and certainly we'll have to see about replay value, because it's very much what you see is what you get. But for a clean game that you can play in 45 minutes... I want, I'm keen to get this one played a few more times. Don't think I'll have time to properly review it, but we'll see. Okay, next up, After Us. Oh my god, was this getting the buzz. I mean, people were queuing to get the daily allocations for this, and I got the last one on the Friday. I was that lucky. Why did I gun for it? Mainly because it had a limited edition copy. Because this has the Eiffel Tower on it, the one I got has Big Ben on it. Yeah, Vincent Dutrait did a unique cover for the Games Expo. That was nice of him. But... This is basically a Planet of the Apes theme card game. And the theme means nothing. It's literally there for artwork. And some amusing pictures on your player board. 
but this is basically a card game from Catch Up Games and apparently Pandasaurus as well, where you are playing cards which represent like different types of monkeys and you know it's all post-apocalyptic Planet of the Apes style but these cards have got all these banners on them they've got you know resource resource banners and like pay x to get y victory points and stuff or pay x resource to get y resource and the idea is is that you have some starter cards and you lay out four each round and try to line them up so that the links at the edges of the cards because they're broken links like link together and form a complete box and so you're trying to create cool combos with cards and there's some like assets you can use during the game with a battery resource and it's all colorful artwork and you can get more upgraded cards so like four different types of apes with some slight different variations as to how those ape cards work like one gets you rage that lets you trash cards one gets you batteries one gets you victory points that kind of thing and and you know it's a pretty simple card game now i've only played this solo so far i've given it the beans solo and i have worries um this game is not as fun as i thought it was going to be though that arrangement of the four cards thing is cool but that's literally the game that's all it is and if that's of no interest to you you're not gonna find much else in this game to really shine it, it and the solo mode felt tacked on it's stupidly impossible to beat the, the AI gets points so quickly and so fast that you will not be able to keep up with the momentum. But the idea is, is that it came on a separate leaflet, the rules. That shows to show that the solo mode was done as an afterthought. So this wasn't properly developed, I don't think, that aspect. So, okay, what about multiplayer? You can play it up to six players and there's no point. Why does it go up to six players? No reason at all. It's like Planet Unknown. Because the only interaction in this game, and I kid you not, this is the only interaction in this game. You have a token that you flip over. This uh, token on the board here, but I'll see if I can find a proper use for the token. Uh, but basically, in the second phase, you get to uh, simultaneously reveal this token. It gets you a bonus and lets you purchase an ape card from that particular ape group. And for two resources, you can copy a bonus from a neighbor's token. That's it. That's all the interaction you have in this game. Wow. There is little to no point playing this with two or three players, apart from the fact that you don't want to play against a solo bot, so pretty much two players. Very little extra reason to play it with three. Zero reason to play it with four, five, or six. And you are only as fast as your lowest common denominator, so even though a lot of the play in this is simultaneous, it's still going to have people APing like crazy over the four cards, and it's going to slow down. There's just no reason to play this with more than three players. You know, three is the absolute cap I'll play this with. And even then, I've got to accept that for the most part, I don't care what the opponents are doing. So it feels like a complete solitaire game with a solitaire mode that doesn't feel like it was developed properly. I mean, it's going to need some house ruling to really curb down the VP game. But there's no difficulty levels. What you see is what you get. There is no difficulty. You have to race it to 80 points. And the setup is all the same. There's no way to say, right, start it on a different level or you get some more points or whatever, you know. Yeah, but you can house rule that, but that should be developed in the mode. It just feels very, very tacked on. So this is starting to let me down at first. And if I get a chance to do a quick draw review, I will. But yeah, first impressions are not that good. And I bought this as an impulse buy. Normally, I trust my gut as to whether I think a card game is going to be great or not probably should have gone with my gut right 
Uh, let's talk about uh, something that I am excited for, though. I did not know much about this game because I missed the Kickstarter. It's called Earthborn Rangers. Experience the wilderness of the far future as rangers of a wondrous mountain valley. So this was on Kickstarter as a solo-slash-co-op card game with an open world where you're rangers and kind of like a post-apocalyptic forest and I mean 2,000 years ago so things have kind of got fine now but think of going around American national parks with creatures and wildlife and stuff as rangers with some high-tech uh, gadgetry thrown in and maybe a bit of magic on the site. This I knew very little about but Mark Dainty, not board gaming, gave me a massive recommendation for this. Said Luke you are gonna love this game. Now granted we tend to clash heads a lot about games we enjoy. So, you know, in terms of whether Mark loves a game, I'll generally think, hmm, maybe I won't love it as much. But one thing Mark does know is that he seems to know what I will like. Because when I teach him a game, he usually goes out and buys it. It's like I show him a lot of good games. But then when he recommends a game to me, he seems to be very good at picking out ones that I will love. And he's done it several times already. This is no exception. This, oh my word, I wish I backed this on Kickstarter. This was so much fun just from a demo. And I don't know which cover they're going to have. I mean, this cover looks a lot nicer. And I don't know how many pictures they have. In fact, I think they're going to be very limited on pictures. So I think what you see is what you get, really. But essentially, you each have your own personal deck, depending on which character you pick. And you have a map, you have different missions that you can go on, and kind of almost like a seventh continent feel, you can kind of go wherever you like. It's open world. But you do have missions that will guide you to sort of go to various places. The demo was literally just to get out of the area we were in. And we had to contend with, like, you know, deer that we were going to decide whether to, you know, just shoo away or kill for meat or whatever. Had to deal with a couple of predators. We had thickets, you know, like simple stuff. This is only the first mission. But, this is a really cool game. I mean, you can play this solo, you can play it co-op, and apparently you can even do drop-in, drop-out. I spoke with um, Andrew Navarro, I think his name is, uh, um, he's an ex-FFG designer, and the idea of this being drop-in, drop-out co-op in any campaign, fantastic. You know, the, the amount of pro problems you have trying to get people committed for a full campaign. If I can literally just give people the deck of cards, teach them the rules, and we have a fun time, Brilliant. I could play multiple campaigns of this. So everybody has their own deck and they, you'll, you'll spend resources from your own sort of personal stats in order to play the cards. And it could be an engineer with all his gadgets. It could be a magic user with various like cool combo tricks or the scout who's very good at getting through locations. And when you do tests, you'll spend tokens from these cards and commit in order to try and beat the tester as well as you can a card will flip from a modifier deck which has a plus or minus modifier to see what your skill check is but it will also have a symbol which triggers effects on various cards around the table like the uh the foes you're up against or the predators or the world itself you know the weather might change the weather will be different for each scenario like one scenario might be rainy one might be sunny and that will have an effect there's just a lot of cool stuff that goes on in this and i thought I thought the card mechanic system was simple. You know, it's not like, you know, baby levels of complexity. It's going to, you know, require some rules teaching. But if you are used to these kind of card games, you'll pick this up really easily. I didn't have a problem getting into this. The artwork was beautiful. I mean, this picture won't do enough justice, but man, it looked great close up. The graphic design was clear and... 
you know, it just, it was a very good fun co-op experience. You could ham up the theme, you could have fun with it, it's relatable. It just, everything about this game just kind of sung with me from a co-op co card game perspective. And yet I could play the solo and I feel like I could bash out a solo game quick and you can play it with just one deck. You don't have to play multi-handed, you can just play with one deck. Ah. Oh. I love open world card games like this. Open world card games are great, but I think the theme of this one works better as well. I'm kind of done with fantasy and sci-fi all over the place. I mean, yeah, this has an element of sci-fi in it and fantasy. You've got like somebody who can use a bit of magic and some guy with high-tech gadgetry. But the world feels like... Imagine The Last of Us it, with the wilderness. Remove zombies and all that lot, but just have the wilderness. You've had the apocalypse happen... But in this case, things have kind of been fixed. You know, it's 2,000 years since people fixed the planet. But just imagine it's kind of like you're in the wilderness of The Last of Us. And life is kind of returning to the world. And you're coming up against the natural world, effectively, as your problems to, to overcome. This one kind of feels like that. This is a relatable world. I mean, if you took out the sci-fi and magic, you could literally just be playing a, a typical range, a National Park Rangers card game, and I'd still be enjoying it. It's just something that's a bit more approachable and appealing than, say, I'm going into a dungeon to kill the dragon with my paladin or blessing times two or whatever. You know, it's, you know, that sort of stuff it's kind of bored with, you know, and these settings have been done to death. This feels like something new, interesting, and unique. Now, Yes, it's semi-nature themed, so maybe that's not entirely new, but nature is more appealing to a lot of people than a lot of these different settings. But I just, I really enjoyed the mechanics, I really enjoyed the gameplay, and, you know, Andrew was very nice enough, he took me details, and I think I've been put on as a late backer. Haven't had any emails about it though, so I'm hoping he doesn't forget, but I'm hoping that uh, when this fulfills in a couple of months time, I will get a copy of it to do a full review on, because I want to review this game, and we should get it in the UK two hours, uh, two hours, two months before the US does. So to get it reviewed before the US market gets it would be very good for the channel as well. So yeah, I am hyped for this game. Hegemony has probably been my best game I've played of the year so far. Um, you've got some competition now. If this game is anywhere near as good when I play it and give it the beans as it was from that demo, which, kudos, I made a thing about saying that demoers need to be trained better in their games. This demoer was witty, he was, you know, he was charismatic, he was very good with the rules, he didn't have to look anything up, he told the story really well, he guided us but let us do our own thing, you know, it was a very good proper demo you know we didn't just get left to our own devices he guided us through the turns but we could still make some decisions ourselves this was one of the best demos i've received at a convention ever i'd forgotten his name there was only two of them there uh, i think he was on the one in the middle the middle table there was one right by the edge next to the walkway and one in the middle sort of in the middle of the uh the booth but whoever you are you did a fantastic job kudos and commendations to you you need to do more demos because you know what you're doing but yeah i can't wait for this game thanks mark for the recommendation i am hyped for this game right now let's uh, flip things on its head inventions evolution of ideas and i'm going to put evolution of ideas in quotes more on that later this is another one that, uh, you know, Mark Dainty uh, sort of recommended, mainly because both of us like Lucerda games. Case in point, I have four right behind my head. But one thing I will say about Lucerda's games, they reached a peak. 
and then they've been dropping since. On Mars was too impractical despite being a fun game. Weather Machine didn't really get the theme much out of it. It felt like other Euros and I like it but I don't love it. And I didn't like Escape Plan at all. So I'm curious as to when Lacerda is going to reach the peak of something like Kanban and Gallerist, you know, like behind me, you know, the pinnacle of his design, the 10 out of 10 heavy Euros. Would this be it? Well, by theme, it sounded like it would be. I mean, inventions, I like inventions as a theme. That's all well and good. And Mark very kindly taught us the game, you know, forgetting the uh, checking the rule books and stuff. This is a very hard one to teach and the teach has nothing to do with my opinion of this game. And like I say, I played it with good people and we had a good laugh. But I am going to say this, and some of the sort of sands are going to hate me for this. I don't think this game was particularly great. Um, it's not a bad game. I don't think this is bad. I would still play this, but this is kind of on par with something like Weather Machine for me. It exists. It's fine. It does what it sets out to do, but that's all it is. I didn't really get much from this. In fact, I said put evolution of ideas in quotes because for a game that's called evolution of ideas, this game doesn't evolve a single idea in Lacerda's designs. There is nothing new in this whatsoever. Now, that's a prototype. So I've got to see if I can find a... I think that's the prototype. So I'm going to see if I can find some actual imagery from this because it's probably just prototypes. Oh yeah, here's some rendered ones. That'll do. But... What you're essentially, I mean, it's going to be hard to describe it because, frankly, the theme just barely exists here. So how does it work? Well, it's worker placement, pretty much, for the most part. You know, you put a piece out and you select an action. But you have these cards that represent the different inventions. And the idea is, is that you have to present the idea, unflipped. You have to then invent it, flip it over. And you can possibly innovate on the idea to get more bonuses and whatnot. But... And then with these tiles that you collect, which are based on the actions that you do... You place them on your player board in whatever fashion you like to try and score victory points for generic reasons. I think you can see where this is going. If you thought Weather Machine didn't have a lot of theme, then move over Weather Machine. Here's Inventions. The theme is just non-existent here. Yes, your invention of iron or whatever leads you to get this card later which does this. That's pretty bare bones on the thinking part for the theme. And even then, I question why I need mathematics to make eyeglasses rather than, well, you know, say glass. But it's, you know, that's a different story. But this whole bit with the grid means nothing. There is no reason to have this, like, petty little grid with some bonuses that cost more resources to place down when you place them next to each other. Some of the objective tiles that you get that score you points for placements they're relevant for this, but there are some that don't even care what you have placements. You can literally just put them on this grid where the hell you feel like. But it's well made. It's in O'Toole's artwork, which means that it will be presented nice. Although, to be honest, this is a very beige and brown game with some sage green or dull blue, you know, imagery for that. You know, so the artwork's fine, but it's still a pretty bland looking game. It's just good graphic design because this is Ian O'Toole's shtick. doesn't necessarily make the most beautiful game ever, but it'll make the most easier, well, I say easier to read, more on that in a minute, but, you know, he'll make a well-presented game. Now, the game is not bad. I enjoyed it, but nothing here feels new. Nothing here feels different. You know, Kanban and Gallerist and Vinyos and Lisboa, they feel different. They feel unique and they really do well with their themes, particularly Kanban and Gallerist and Vinyos. 
This one doesn't do anything with its theme really. You've got these worker placement spots. You place a little pillar on them and you do one of the two actions and you can't go back to that row until the next era. Fine, standard worker placement. You have the uh, different types of technologies and you place a worker on it to say that you have that technology, which means you can invent cards that require it. Okay, fine. You know, the map here, you put meeples on the map and by moving them around, you can get bonuses and score victory points. Okay, great. And the invention cards, I mean, cool, blimey, the rules to this game, you need a step-by-step -step guide to every action in this game in front of you at all times because the amount of times that we had to backtrack because we got to the point halfway through an action and realized, oh, we can't do this, there's none of our meeples there or we don't have this or something. It's like Weather Machine in that respect. You know, a lot of clunky aspects that kind of get in the way and force you to backtrack. You know, unlike something like Kanban, which is just action points and some very simple actions. But this one, you know, the actions themselves, nothing just feels that interesting here. I mean, I present an idea. Great. I'll put the card down face up on this board and I'll get a bonus. Great. All right. Now I'll invent the idea. I'll flip it over. And there's my meeple on it. Cool. Another bonus, I guess. And then we've shared the idea. Cool. Card goes away. Here's some more points than that. The end. Nothing feels very climatic. It feels every round, every action that you do feels anticlimactic. Like nothing feels that rewarding. You can get yourself in a situation where you just like run out of stuff to do. Although I don't think I had that problem, but others did. And, you know, if you don't get these tiles at the end on your board, you're not going to likely win the game points wise. You really have to gun for some of these objective tiles in order to score a decent amount of points. But. Yeah, this game just didn't feel that intuitive. It didn't feel that interesting from a like a mechanic perspective. I mean, the most interesting mechanic you have is the fact that you can chain actions. So when you do an action, you if you have these chain tokens available, you can pop one down on a tile like these ones here on the map, and it lets you do a bonus action. So it's mainly about that. We've seen similar to that before, though, in other games. I mean, things like Gallerist and a couple of others will let you do bonus actions for spending stuff. Again, this has an influence track, and if you can't get high enough up the influence track, you won't have many of these chaining tokens to use anyway. Most of the time, you'll have one per era. If you're lucky, you'll have two in a couple of eras. You know, maybe one era. But three? You'll be lucky to get your influence up that high, mate. So even the chaining thing isn't something that happens a lot. But what the chaining thing does do is that it makes the downtime ridiculous because somebody will take a while to do the, think about their turn. Then they've got to go through all the steps of their turn and these actions aren't short. They're multi-step. But then at the end they go, right, I'm also going to then chain this action which lets me do this other action in full start to finish. So you can have people going around with like effectively two turns in a row and these aren't short turns. This game takes a while. You know, not as long as some other games can, though. I mean, you are going to hit the three-hour mark, and maybe you could get it down to two and a half, so it probably does have a slight lower length, but you are probably looking for most games, particularly if you're teaching it or it's your first game, to get three hours or so. I don't know. The, the game is fine. I don't dislike it. It's decent enough, but we're talking above average here. Six out of ten at best I could give it. I can't recommend it because I just think that there's much better Lacerders out there. These four are the ones I keep. I'm going to keep these four. If I'm going to have a fifth, I'm not going to have a fifth Lacerda game. I tried that one on Mars and I sold it. So you've got to supplant these four behind my head to get on my shelf. And I'm sorry, 
this doesn't come close. I'd rather play some other heavy Euros rather than this. Ones that introduce more like interesting settings or more theme, you know, or just aren't the same thing rehashed. And that's kind of what this feels like. It's another Lacerda. It's a decent game. It will test your brain cells. It will give you a satisfactory experience. But satisfactory is not enough. I need more. So yeah. Not one I'm going to back on Kickstarter. Not one I'm going to own. If I review it when it comes out. That will be a different story. But my first impressions of it. Bear in mind these are just first impressions. Maybe I just need more games of it. But yeah. This one just didn't really excite me and I was really hoping they would do more with this inventions theme but now it's just generic cards put meeples out get some tiles put them on a grid get points if that sounds entertaining to you then by all means go grab it right I need to right I need to speed up a bit here so speast this one I played the other day at my club so this is a slight cheat but this was at the expo in in high regard so you as a beast are hiding from several hunters as you are going around killing sheep and people and stuff. You have an objective to do based on the scenario. And much like other hidden movement games, it's a case of one versus many. So the theme sounds really cool and I was definitely keen to try it. So I jumped in, played the beast and, and generally thought, okay, cool, this could be fun. I get to play a big wolf, you know, Fangria, let's go. Uh, you need to temper your expectations a bit for this game. This is a new publisher, and it was a first Kickstarter. That is alarm bells, because those don't tend to do very well on Kickstarter, with some exceptions, of course. But yeah, you need to be a little bit wary of these. And if your expectation going into this is that this is going to be a full hidden movement game with stealth and stuff, you're in for a you're in for some disappointment, because hidden movement doesn't really qualify in this game. 90% of what you do reveals you on this map. The hunters have 101 ways to track you down and reveal you. So you're not really playing this as a hidden movement game. This is almost dudes on a map, basically. You know, for the most part of the game, you will not be hidden or you'll be easily found. So yeah, maybe that ties in with the theme a bit, but that does not really qualify this as a hidden movement game. You draft cards around all the players, including the beast, because there's two different actions, one hunters, one beast on each card. And so before the round starts, you're trying to think, well, which, which cards do the hunters need? But then what do I not want to give the beast? And the beast is like, well, what do I not want to give the hunters? Um, you know, that's a pretty cool system, but you can still end up with a hand of cards that don't do you very good in, in the round. There's this really clunky system where you've got to, you know, well, not that clunky. Um, it's, it's more like an unnecessary system where you have red and blue colors on the cards. And if you want to play two cards, you have to play a red and a blue. So if you were unlucky and your turn just basically got you most of the same color, that means you're playing only one card every turn. You'll still get to play the cards, but you're playing it slower, which is a disadvantage. So that just seemed like an unnecessary mechanic thrown in. The rule book is not written very well. There was a lot of rules book checking. There's a lot of FAQ moments. There's not much else I really want to say other than go watch the Dice Tower review, but also go watch a review from... Ah, oh, who were they again? Ah! I'm going to have to try and look this up. Hold on a second. Uh, let's go to YouTube because I want to give them credit because I thought it was a good review. So, Beast Review Board Game. Okay. Is this it? Is it Board Game Rundown? Was that it? Yes, I think it was Board Game Rundown. 
and this is a really decent review so ignore the ones below this you just want to look at the dice tower one and you want to look at this uh um board game rundown one we can ignore the others there so <clears throat> these two give some pretty good takes on the game particularly this board game rundown one and yeah it just feels like this one needed more time in the oven to stew it it's got all the hallmarks of a first kickstarter shaky rules some stuff underdeveloped complete imbalance i mean some of these character powers and characters in general feel woefully undervalued compared to others i mean we had one player in our game who literally was mostly bored because he couldn't get any upgrades because the upgrade system economy is really tight and even if he did get his upgrades they wouldn't have been that interesting compared to something like the seer whose upgrades i think are just half broken like if the seer is in the game good luck trying to stay hidden it ain't gonna happen but I just didn't really get the feeling that I was a beast stalking prey. I just felt like I was a random dog just constantly getting hassled. You know, it was, you know, and I won the game, but I think I only won it because I got lucky at getting my high damage skill unlocked, which allowed me to just mince everything in sight. If I didn't get that, I think I would have had a very hard time trying to win as the beast character. It definitely feels skewed in favour of the hunters. But, yeah, it's not a bad game, but. I think it just needed more development time. Right, i got to try and speed things up because I'm really starting to suffer at the moment. So, Books of Time. It's getting a quick draw review. I'll talk about it in more detail then. But it's a semi-deck building game, except you're building up three books in front of you and shoving pages in it, which you then get to activate the abilities, turn the pages, etc. in order to score victory points. Yes, it's not much of a theme per se, and it's basically an economy engine efficiency game. But... This is pretty neat with the way that you create your books and create janky combos because the order of the pages can be important, but then also what pages you combo with others, when you turn the page, when you close the book. There's a lot of cool mechanical stuff in this game, but there are one or two minor concerns I do have with it. But like I say, I'm giving it the beans at the moment, including the solo mode, and I will do a quick draw review of this. So I'm going to give more details then. Uh, mainly because my throat is uh, starting to give out on me at the moment. But this feels like a refreshing change of pace for board and dice. Their recent games have not impressed me. Terracotta Army, Tabanusi, and Origin First Builders, etc. They all felt average at best. And it's like you're rehashing the same thing over and over again. You've got to change tacks. This feels like a change of tactics, a change of path, a branching path for the company. And if you carry on down this road, I think... This will lead to greatness, you know. At the moment, I would consider this to be a good game. I need to play it some more. But, you know, this feels like a step in the right direction. Keep going in this direction, and I have no doubts that you're going to create an absolute belter at some point. You know, just, this is what you needed. New innovation, something different. The War of the Ring the Card game. I've already played the War of the Ring the Card game, and I think it's amazing. But, you really need four players. I got to play the solo co-op version with one of the people at Ares Games. And there's not a huge amount to say on it, really. Um, it's basically War of the Ring, if, as you played it before. Except against the Shadow, which I don't approve of having Shelob on the cover. But never mind, at least it's not too uh, prominent. But essentially, it has specific decks for the bad guys. And you play one or two player, one-handed, two-handed, whatever, against the AI deck. I was really impressed with this though because as a co-op game you're discussing with your partner and you're doing really cool stuff but also 
this little flow chart here on this card is all there is to learn. As long as you get the core concepts down of how the AI deck will operate, like its priority thing, which is not difficult to understand, you know, like it will only go for a combat if it thinks it can win, that kind of thing. This flow chart that you follow for their turn actions is pretty quick. This is well designed, this is pretty smooth, and it doesn't require a lot of piloting from the players. This impressed me so much that I actually got a review copy of Wardering the Card Game from them at the time. So I will do a proper, like, quick draw review of the game, although probably will take me some time to get that one because I have other stuff to do and it's hard to get this one to the table with four players exactly, but I will do a review of this one. But I am now really excited to get the expansion to this so that I can play it solo and co-op more, which means I'll be able to get it to the table more because I do think the game is a genuinely good game. I have played it before, it's just I didn't do a full review because of the hardness to get it to the table. Well, this just made it a lot easier. It's a really good expansion. If you're into this one as a solo co-op thing, you're in luck because it's on the way in a couple of months to three months time. And lastly, I just want to do a quick shout out for a preview of a game that I'm interested in called uh, Kutna Hora. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. The City of Silver. This is from Czech Game Editions. Now, Czech Game Editions didn't have much in the way of new stuff there, but they were showing off the new expansion to Lost Ruins of Arnak, which is mostly more of the same. But it also has a solo campaign in it with story elements. Yes, I'm going to buy it when it comes out. I love, I love Lost Ruins of Arnak. I want this expansion. Give it to me now. So that's a surefire hit. If you love the game, you're going to love this expansion. This is something they've got in the pipeline, though. And I don't, know, I don't normally talk about preview games, but this one has me interested because new designers designing the game with a theme about something that they hold dear to them. Okay, cool. That's always a good start. The game is mostly Euro as you would expect it. You know, it's set in a uh, Czech Republic city that was apparently really good for silver when they discovered they had a ton of it laying underneath their feet, basically. And, you know, there's a prototype component, so it's not final imagery, although it is based on actual buildings. As you can see, they, uh, you know, they did their they did their homework. These buildings represent what's actually there. So kudos, <laughs> kudos to actually taking some pride in your work. But it does have a blackboard, and so far it's not exactly the best looker out there. But early days, I'm not caring about the looks. What I care about is the mechanics. Now, you build up a city above board. You also build mine shafts below. And you take control of areas and you get resources in order to contribute to a cathedral and build more buildings. Now, that alone doesn't sound overly interesting, does it? That's not what's getting me interested in this one, though. Firstly, the mechanics seem pretty straightforward. This felt like a game with a decent amount of depth that didn't have a ton of complex mechanics. But here's the bit I really like. Let me show you something. Uh, not that. This. So what exactly is this? This is a dynamic price market. So you basically can control the prices of the goods based on the actions you're doing, what the actions of the opponents are doing, what the population of the city is, etc. This sounds great. This sounds like something that will make the interaction in the game worth it. Think hegemony, where all the actions that players are doing are influencing the game as a whole. This sounds really cool. It gives me a kind of um, almost like a feudum feel, where like those six guilds you had, what people did with the six guilds influenced what happened in the game. This one feels the same. I could build a sawmill, but if I do that, I'm lowering the price of wood. Should I build it now or should I hang on to it and just let the price of wood be quite high for a bit, especially as you want some of it? That sounds really, 
really cool. I really want to try this game out purely based on this mechanic alone because it's not necessarily something brand brand new, but it feels different. It feels like a good reiteration of something we've seen and making it more, making it better, making this not just seem like a bland multiplayer solitaire Euro. You know, it's the USP of this game. You know, the rest of the stuff I described you've seen before, so I couldn't really entice you to the game based on that alone, but I could with this. I'm definitely interested to see what this does uh, later on in its development, but yeah, you know, this is the only preview I'm going to talk about, but yeah, I'm excited for the City of Silver. We'll see how it goes. Right. That's it, guys. I've been struggling for the last half hour. I've had to take breaks constantly. Editing for this is going to take me ages because I've had to constantly keep coughing and taking a drink. This has been going on for an hour and a quarter. I think I've long surpassed my current limit. So I'm going to wrap up this podcast. But hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got some feelings of stuff that I liked at the UK Games Expo. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for saying hi if you did, you know, shake my hand and, you know, just chat to me while I was there. It was good to see some of you. It was great to talk to publishers and creator friends that I've not seen in ages. And yeah, I look forward to next year and hopefully I'll see you at some future conventions this year like Essen or HandyCon or the 24-hour board gaming marathon, GridCon, you know, all the, the cool works. So yeah. Another good year for the Expo, and I look forward to 2024. So that's it for me on this episode of The Broken Meeple. If you like what you see, please thumb up the video, share it about on social media if you can, but also just check out the other content on the show. I did the best of May 23, but I've also started my Keyboard Cull series, so by all means, check out that one as well. Until next time, remember, regardless of how ill you are, or whether your throat will give out, or whatever is holding you back, it's still only a game to just have fun and rest up later. I know I will later. Oh well, take care. Bye for now, guys.